your whole life out and then you can articulate it. It's almost like, even though I'm preaching to you, I'm really, I'm preaching to myself again. Like it's like a soundboard and I'm hearing things. I'm going, yeah, come on, Lord. And he's reminding me of seasons that I'm in and, and what it's really for. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's blessing me too. So if you don't get nothing out of it, it's okay, I did. <laughs> awesome. Father, thank you for your word tonight. This is the last session. Ooh. Mufasa. How many like the Lion King? No? Oh, only two. Only, only, only the saved side. <laughs> There's a part there where the, hy- uh, the hyenas are they're, they're hiding in, I think. One of them goes, Mufasa. And he goes, Mufasa. It's like that when you mention the name of Jesus. Every devil goes, Unless you're the sons of Sceva. Hey. I adjure you in the name that Jesus, oh, that Paul preaches. Come out. And the devil says, Jesus I know. Paul I know. Who are you? And you know what the problem was? They didn't know who they were. They got a hiding. <laughs> it's a freebie. You have to know who you are. Unless you're going to get a hiding. Life will throw you curveballs, and if you don't have an understanding of who God is, you, it'll shape your perspective of God. Mm. Amen. All righty. Who loves the Word of God? I love the Word of God. Oh, look. What do they say? Dirty Bible, clean heart. I just put some um, breadcrumbs on it so I'll make it look dirty. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just pray in this last session, Lord, that you would, you would sum up everything that we've been learning over the last couple of nights, Lord. And I just pray for, again, simplicity of heart, Lord, that I would speak and that you would just touch the hearts of your people, bring clarity and direction in people's lives that they may take the next step in what you have installed for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I got a question for you. So this is kind of interactive. Is that okay? What was the first thing God gave Adam? His presence. It's a good word there, bro. A wife? A life? Yeah, he gave him a life, yeah. It's okay, there's no really wrong answer. I just want to, I want you to engage in what, what I want to talk about because what I'm going to do is I'm going to slap you shortly <laughs> with a reality check. So what do you think God gave Adam first? Wisdom to name the animals. That's a good one. Anyone else? He make his body. That's right, he gave my body. Let's, let's read it, eh? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Genesis 2 and 15. And it says, And the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. The first thing God gave Adam was responsibility. He gave him 
responsibility over something that was important to God. Before he made a helper to come alongside him, he gave him responsibility. And it's interesting that when people wake up in the morning, they're pursuing dreams, pursuing vision, pursuing employment, pursuing education. And they're doing things that are over there without taking responsibility. Well, what's in here? Because it's easy to go over there than it is to be here. Well, I don't need to serve because I am called to be a prophet or I'm called to be a prime minister. So when that happens, then I will serve. But God's saying, no, no, your identity is in your serving. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. And I want to talk to you this morning about responsibility. See, the first thing God gave man was not a dream. He didn't fill his imagination with, with grandeur. It wasn't even ambition. It wasn't even a gift or a talent. He gave him responsibility to dress and to keep the garden. It's interesting that the word keep means to protect from loss or injury. But sin hadn't entered the world yet. Chaos hadn't happened yet. Yet God was already preparing him in his responsibility for protection against an outside enemy. And when you recognize that what God is doing in your life right now is, is, is bringing your eyes from being over there to here, he's going to equip you to protect from the loss and the injury that you're going to afford yourself if you keep your eyes over there. Because you have to keep your eyes over there because that's the call of God. But not at the expense of what you're doing right now. I had a, la I had, I, I had a, um, a lady in my church, amazing, amazing, gifted, talented, amazing. I'm jealous for her. She can do some amazing stuff. You know, but she had so many prophecies over her life that it brought confusion. And she said to me one day, she's my, uh, a very key person in our church at the time. She said, Mal, I feel like I need a rest. I said, cool, man. Sure, that's fine. I don't mind singing if you can put up with it. <laughs> she goes, oh, I need a rest. I said, okay. She goes, oh, and I'm leaving your church. I'm going to go back to this other church. I said, oh. Okay. Why? And I'm frustrated, I'm angry, and I'm like, what the hell, you immature person, you. That's what I'm thinking. But I don't tell her that, because you've got to love them. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay, what's going on? She goes, man, I've just got all these words over my life, and I just feel like I'm, I need to just bring clarity to my thoughts. And, and so what happened was she thought that if she'd leave her position of responsibility, that somehow she'll find her destiny. And I want to tell you that your destiny is already fulfilled in God because he lives outside of time, but you need to own what you're in right now. And it's when you become responsible for this moment of your life, whether it's internal stuff going on, whether it's you're a men's ministry leader, whether you're part of the uh, life groups, or whatever it is that God's put in your hand to do right now, if you learn to take responsibility in that, God will cause you to line up with that word that he's prophesied over your life because it's in the serving and the owning of this that's equipping you for that. 
But when you're looking at that without recognizing this, your heart will grow hard. Because what will happen is you'll think it's taking too long to get there and you'll cut a corner and you'll take a shortcut. I feel like God wants you to understand something that is important to take responsibility. And no one likes responsibility because then you have to own up to stuff. You've got to own up to stuff. Why am I yelling at my wife? Oh, I've got to take responsibility for that. What? It's her fault. It's the pastor's fault he never acknowledged me with a smile that Sunday morning. Oh, I know. I've, I've had people leave church because I never said hi to them. Fair dinkum. Fair dinkum. We need to wake up in the morning and not chase dreams, but take responsibility. Whether that's just to take a responsibility to get up and go to work. I, I got this fellow, his name's um, Toko. Beautiful man. Ooh, rough around the edges, I like him, he's pretty cool. And uh, he's never had a day off in his life since he started work. And he had a day off two weeks ago. And he goes, Mal, I don't feel bad about it either. And I said, man, you shouldn't. And he says, my mum was an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic and they never went to work. But we suffered as kids. So I made a decision in my mind I would never, never not go to work. And he's a blessed man today. And sometimes it's, it's in the simple things of just taking responsibility for what's in your hand that you'll walk out what's later down the road. If you've got issues in your heart, own it. The minute you own it, God will restore it. The more you blame, the more you're relinquishing God's ability to change you. Hmm? Your dreams are not first. Oh, but I'm going to be a preacher. Yeah, good on you. Your vision isn't first. If you've got a different vision to your pastor, then it's die vision. Your vision will die. It's It's dangerous. That doesn't give you the... Uh, when I say that, everyone has a unique vision for their life. Yeah? So, so, my brother here, there's a call on your life. Absolutely. Say amen. Amen. There is. There's a call on your life. And what happens is, God puts you into a fold so that a shepherd can nurture you and release you into your gifting so you can better produce for other people. So what you do is God put you into a church community and the minister might have a vision and you might go, man, I like that vision. And then your submission to the vision, God commissions you to do what you're being called to do because you're never called to do it alone. And the centurion said to Jesus, just say the word. My servant will be healed because I too am a man under authority. And so you can't get authority until you come under authority. Because if you learn how to come under authority, God will entrust you with it. And so many people want to be a, a, a mountain to themselves. And God's going, now there's a right way of doing it, and it's completely opposite to the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of this world. Let's look at the life of David. Man, how many know David was talented? Man, he go, and all the, all the flowers would go, like he, was, he was pretty, he, man, he was, 
He was young, he was handsome, pretty much like me, and nah. He had a bit of swag, and you know, he was a little ruddy kid, and he was pretty amazing, you know. And, and, and he gets anointed king at the age of 17 ish. King of Israel. Oh my Lord, the prophet. Come up to the man of God and says, None of you. You got any more kids? Oh, it must be this fella. Yeah, yeah, he's out looking after the sheep. Well, we're not going nowhere. We're not going to eat until you bring your son down. Brings him down and God says, don't look at the outward appearance as man does, but look at the heart. And so many times as men, we judge according to what we see and we don't have patience enough to listen to the heart because you know what it takes to listen to someone's heart? It takes closeness. It takes you to get close to your brother, to hear what's going on in their life. They might not tell you, but it's in the tone of their voice. They're struggling. They're going through some hard times. But if you're, if you're looking at it from a ministry perspective, and I'm just pastoring you from a distance. I'll put on the smile for you. Hey, Pastor, I'm doing good, but internally I'm struggling. You have to get closer to hear the heart. You have to actually be involved to get a heart. Because at an overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. But if you're not close enough, they'll speak stuff you want to hear. David had a talent. He had a gift. He was anointed king. But what does he do? 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. I didn't actually write the scripture down, but 1 Samuel 16. And it says this in verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, he was bright-eyed, good-looking, from Puridua. No, no, no. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. That's amazing. At 17, what's he, where was he? Where was he? Was he, was he at the, with the brothers and was he hanging out? What was he doing? He was looking after his old man's sheep. Verse 19. And it says, Therefore, Saul sent messages to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. What did David do? He's a young fella, pretty good looking. He's got swag. He's got some brothers that are kind of not really looking after him enough. And he becomes the next king of Israel, anointed by the prophet of God. And what does he do as soon as he's anointed? He goes back and looks after what he was responsible for. And some of you, you get words this weekend and you've been getting confirmation about stuff. And that's not permission for you to go off on your own tangent, but it's for you to take responsibility for what God has given you and do it well. See, because you don't understand that in your private war, in your private victories, come victories for public people. See, David, he, well, he was looking after what he was responsible for, went into a bit of a battle. What did he do? A lion comes, checks out his sheep. Well, it's not his sheep, it's his father's sheep. But so the disposition of David is that what is his father's is mine. And he took a responsibility for that. It's not a hireling who sees the wolf coming 
And because he's not a shepherd, he runs away. He goes, oh, it's too much for me, man. But a shepherd will lay his life down for the sheep. Amen. And so David, he goes up to the lion and he's like, I can imagine, I got imagination. I was like, man, David must have ripped its face off. And, you know, it's pretty gross stuff, right? And then he's like, ooh, sweet. No one's watching this. No one's watching what you're doing, but God is watching. And all of a sudden, he thinks everything's going good. He's up in the mountains, the sheep are doing what sheep do. Poo everywhere. Eat your food. Don't say thank you. They just come and messy you up. And, and then a lion comes. Oh, did I say a lion first day? Then a bear comes. And the bear comes. Could you imagine a grizzly bear? Oh, I got one swipe, you're dead. But he overcomes the bear and a lion when no one's watching because he's taking responsibility for something that belongs to someone else. See, you want yours, but you're not giving your life to someone else's. You want to own a home. Maybe you don't own a home today. Why don't you go and sow your time into helping someone build their home? Oh, okay. Just thought I'd throw that one out there. So he overcomes this, and no one knows until he gets to a moment where the nation's in trouble, and there's a man by the name of Goliath who's smashing out frets for 40 days and 40 nights. And David comes down and he's got the bread and the old man says, you need to go down and get some food for your brothers. Check out how they're doing. For 40 days, these trained military armies are standing there and they're like looking at them and, and they don't know what to do because they're afraid. This fellow slandering them. You're nothing. You circumcised mongrels, whatever. I don't know what he would have been saying, but it was pretty bad. For 40 days, that's over a month of a military army just going, I ain't going out there, man. Bring me a man. And this little ruddy kid comes down. And the Bible says that he gave the bread to the baggage keepers. And it's really important that you understand that when you're going into battle, sometimes you've got to let go of your rubbish and give it to the baggage keeper. And who's the baggage keeper? Christ. Take it to the cross. Let it go. Amen. Goes down to the battle and he goes to Saul. Hey, hey, Saul. Don't let man's heart fail because of him, man. I'll deal with him. Saul looks at him and goes, mate, you're only a kid. What can you do? He's been a warrior from his youth. What can you do? He goes, well, when no one was watching, I actually killed a bear and a lion. And this fella, he's going to be just like one of them. And so Saul goes, yeah, yeah, sweet man. So I don't know where, how the king got courage out of a little kid, but he goes to put his armor on him. And David, man, I can imagine his little witty, you know, Saul was massive, head and shoulders above the biggest guy in Israel. And this little kid, I can't wear it, man. I can't wear it, why? Because it's not me. And when you start to try to be like someone else, and you stop being authentic to you, you rob yourself and you go into a battle ill-equipped and ill-prepared. So he takes it off, he goes, man, I can't do it. It's not tested, man. It's just not me. And he picks up a stone, five of them, 
and something he's familiar with, a slingshot. I could imagine him in the, in the hilltop. There goes the bush. And he become really good at it. His private victories, because he took responsibility for something that belonged to someone else as if it was his own, because he's not a servant, he's a son. It gave a nation their freedom. One man, anointed by the Holy Ghost, who took responsibility for his part to play in the family, who turned up when it was time to turn up, who honoured the father when he told him he needed to go and do something, he went and done it. He didn't get distracted by offence from his brothers. What do you want? What are you doing? Brought victory to a nation. You guys are anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. You're anointed by God with the Holy Ghost, with the same spirit that was on David. Doesn't live on you, lives in you. But the problem we live with powerless men is because the men don't take responsibility. We shirk it and we go, push the woman up the front. Let the woman lead. She'll be right, mate. Wife will turn up to the meeting. She'll just fill me in later. You know what happened when you get secondhand information? You become like Eve. God said to Adam, you can have every tree, just don't eat that one. The day you do, you die. So when it gets to Eve, who never heard her from God, got her from Adam, he said, man, I can't even touch that or eat that. And you add to the command of God. And so now all of a sudden, you got your wife telling you stuff. And your wife's going, well, I think I remember it saying it like this. And then you assume something out of misinformation and then you start to behave in a way that's incoherent to the very call of your life. You sit there and you're like, man, that's good, darling. And then you watch a bit of Coronation Street or whatever else is. I don't know what's on New Zealand at the moment. But David took responsibility. Now, not when he became king. But his responsibility now afforded him his kingship. It is our responsibility first. It's not the only thing, but it's the first thing. The Bible tells us that Adam was dressed to keep, was to dress and to keep the garden before there was anyone else to help. What has God put into your hand? Are you just sitting there complaining that no one else is there to help you? The reason you've been given that responsibility, man, is because God knows you're capable. Now he wants you to believe that you're capable so you can actually do something about it. Because there's no good if pastor comes up here and says all these good things about you when you don't get that in you and you begin to own it. You have to take ownership of it, man. All right. Before there's anyone else to help, Anybody to clean up and tend to this garden, it was Adam's responsibility. Then the Bible tells us that God saw that it wasn't good that man be alone, implying that he needed help. And God wants to bring help into your world. And you know how he does it? Go like this. 
Tell her that. It's the person next to you. See, God will bring you into a penthouse, a pen, uh, what do you call it? A pen, a sheep pen, sheepfold, because your brother needs you. The mamas need you. The house needs you to become men of God. Not, not she'll be right, mate. Oh, I'm too busy, mate. Maybe next week, mate. No, no, now. The house needs you. It needs you, but it's not for you. It's for another people who are looking for men that they can look up to that reflect the very nature of God. But you've got to take responsibility. Amen? I am responsibility for my prayer life. Oh. You know what? Pastors hate this. I'm going to say this on behalf of pastors. Right? I know how many times you meet people, Christians, in your congregation, and you go, how's your prayer life? And they say this, oh, you know, I can always do more. Of course you can do more. We can all do more. But what about this week? Half the battle that you're going to face in life is because of two things. One, you stop praying. Two, you stop reading your word. God made it so simple that out of your intimacy, you will destroy the works of the devil. No intimacy, you get destroyed by the works of the devil. You can't blame circumstances. It is here. The minute I blame my wife, I abdicated my right to change. But the minute I own it, forgive me, Lord. Have mercy. Forgive your neighbor. And I want to. But your word says, if I don't, you won't. So therefore, I do. Lord, forgive me. Not forgive him. Forgive me first. Because it all starts here. No one's responsible for you praying. Men? No one's responsible for you to pray except you. And if you don't pray, it's because something has your affection other than God. I am responsible for my faith life. You know, there's a difference between what you believe and what you have faith for. I believe the scripture is the inspired word of God. But faith that moves God only comes when you hear the word of God. And when you hear the word of God, you can expect God to perform it. Because he's not telling you something supernatural just to tickle your ear. He's doing it because he wants to do something. Whether it's in someone's life, I want a healing. I want to do this. You know, I come to this church one day. And, and, and I remember like there was these gang members on one side and gang members on the other. And it was a baptism that morning. And, you know, and, I, and I looked at my sermon and this fellow walks in past me. He's all muckled up. He's all got tattoos and he walks past me. Like this. And he sits over here. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm like, it's a bit intimidating. And, and, and then uh, uh, Pastor Fina comes up to me and she goes, oh, see that side there? That's all Monga Mob. See on oh, that side? That's all the black power. <laughs> and they all come sport the old kuro getting baptized. And I'm like, oh, cool. And then I look at my sermon, my Christian sermon, and I'm half the church are unsaved. And I'm going, they don't want to listen to that, man. This is for church people. And the Spirit of God dropped this word into my spirit. And he said, son, I do not come to you with persuasive words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration and power. And I went, can I show you off? You know, God wants to be showing off. I said, can I show you off, God? As soon as I did it, my kidney was incredibly painful. And I'm like, 
And I'm looking across the front row at Asini and I'm going, I should ask him for a Panadol. Uh, I'm in a lot of pain, but I'm the man of faith. And I'm like, my, my God. And then, and then, and then I get invited up to come and speak and I'm, I'm leaning on the pulpit and I'm going, Kia everyone. Oh, it's the Scottish National Anthem. Hey, heaven is calling. And what happened was, I'm sitting there and I know God wants to show himself off. But you know, God wants to show himself off through you. And so I'm sitting there and I go, okay, before I start, who's got bad kidneys in here? Your kidney is shot, gone, painful. Small little lady puts her hand up. She come up here. She walks up the front. I don't know if you can remember this one. She comes up the front. I say, are you a Christian? She goes, no. Do you believe in Jesus? Not really. Oh, do you come to support the court of getting baptized? Yeah. I said, can I be honest with you? Because I'm, I'm still leaning on the thing. This is really sore. I said, God brought, me, brought you here today so he can demonstrate his power through you. He's going to heal you. All I'm going to do is put my hand on your head. Power of God's going to touch you. You're going to be healed. Are you ready for that? She was like, I don't know. <laughs> so I go, Father, in the name of Jesus. And I don't even touch her. Boom. Under the power of God. Weeping. My pain's gone. And I get words of knowledge. da 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 Two weeks later, or maybe a month later, I come back to a night service and she comes up to me and she says, I, I went to the doctors the following Friday and I need dialysis. Wow. And they did another biopsy thing on my kidney thing and they said, your kidneys are fine. You do not need dialysis. When God gives you words of knowledge, it needs you, but it's not for you. It needs you to give it. Don't be so selfish with it, but you give it because God wants to encounter that person's life where they're at. But he wants you to do it. But if you don't turn up, who's going to give it? You've got to take responsibility today. You're responsible. I am responsible for my thought life. You cannot have a victorious Christian living with stink thinking. What does stink thinking look like? I'm going to say something and I don't want to offend you, okay? Stink thinking is this. I'm just a moldy. I'm just an islander. You're not just. You're a man of God. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You have so much value. You have so much worth. Well, the reason I say that is because my wife, who's moldy, East Coast, has been told all her life that she's just a moldy. No value. You have no, no self-worth, no voice. For 26 years, all I've done is validate her. You're, you're my queen. Me and you, we're one. You disrespect me, you disrespect her. You disrespect her, you disrespect me. And I validate her. Why? Because she has so much value. But some of our thinking is, mm, I can't do much, man. Who am I? And God's saying, you are more than a conqueror. That he that began a good work in you is faithful to finish it. 
And if, if you've still got some areas of your life that's not worked out yet, it's because God hasn't finished working it out yet. Amen? Don't let who you are in your cultural upbringing define who you are. Because you were born into a kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus said to a, a religious man, he said, except you get born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. What? Born again? What does that mean? Well, when you're conceived into this world, you're conceived into sin. Your mum and dad had a nookie nookie. Oh, it's not common sense. Yeah, this is just, yeah. And the seed that was in your father passed on to you, which caused degeneration of your human spirit. So you were dead. You're born dead to God. Even though you're from God, you're born dead. You're a dead man walking. And so God sent his son and he said, you need to be born again. You need a new seed sown into your soul so that you can produce the very nature of the one whom you belong to. God's sperma, God's sperm lives in you. And the seed will naturally produce after its kind. Oh, that means that you will naturally produce the very nature of your heavenly father because you are born again of the spirit of God. If you didn't know Jesus this morning, I want to tell you, you were born the natural characteristics of your earthly father. That's why Jesus said, get born again. You're born into the kingdom so you can reflect the very nature. Your stinky thinking is all about like, Anything that contradicts the very nature of God. Like God will prophesy over you and you're like, yeah, nah. Then you reason it out. Cast it out. Take authority over that life. Don't blame other people for what you think about yourself. Stop blaming mum and dad. Stop blaming grandpa, grandma. Stop blaming your woman. Stop blaming your whoever. Take ownership of that. I am responsible for my wife and kids. You're responsible. I'm responsible. Every night my son would go to bed and, and my daughter and I pray, Father, I thank you, the spirit of wisdom, spirit of revelation and the knowledge of God. Fear walks on them, lives on them, breathes on them. They're going to emulate that in their life. One day I'm watching the Warriors. I don't know why I watch the Warriors. <laughs> Make me worry a lot. But I'm watching the Warriors and, and my son, because it's my downtime. It's my only time I get to just chill. My son walks out. He's supposed to be in bed. He goes, Dad, Dad. I go, what do you want? He goes, you got any sticky notes? You know, the sticky, sticky stuff? Listen, son, I'll give you a sticky, sticky in a minute, man. Get to bed. It's past your bedtime. And I'm sitting there. I watch the game for about two seconds later. I'm going, oh, hang on. Walk into the bedroom. Hey, boy. Yes, Dad. What do you want a sticky note for? Oh, you know how you read your Bible and then you write notes when you feel like God is talking to you? I think I read the Bible and God spoke to me. So I want to write on my notes. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you 50 sticky notes. <laughs> you don't realize it, but people are watching you. People are watching you. Your sons and your daughters are watching you. And how you treat your mama is how they'll treat their wives. How you treat your daughter is how you would treat them. They'll, they'll grow up and they'll emulate you. But you've got to own that. If things ain't good, you own it. Don't have the last word and go, yeah, yeah, I, I'm sorry, but you made me. Oh, I, I'm sorry for the fact I punched you in the head, but you made me. 
Don't do that. You own it. Okay? Because you're responsible. You want a breakthrough? Take responsibility for your actions. I'm responsible for my wife and my kids. If you don't like what your wife is doing, sow a different seed. Because you will reap what you sow. If you don't like what you're reaping, because you've sowed something rubbish. Maybe you haven't paid attention to your own vineyard. Pay attention, men. When was the last time you bought your wife a flower? Ooh. When was the last time you cooked her a meal? What? She cooks all the meals in my... But what if you did that? She'll sit there, what do you want? <laughs> what do you want? No, I don't want nothing. I just want to love you. When was the last time you did it? Don't wait for her to do it for you. You do it. You be the leader. Start taking responsibility. I'm responsible for the passion that I have for Jesus. Pastor is not here to G you up. Whoa, yeah, great word. Praise God. Go outside. Let's get on the drinks. You're responsible for how intimate you are with God. You're responsible for putting water on the fire. Not your pastor. You imagine, you imagine, you get on fire for God. And 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 we all come into one house already on fire for God. The pastor won't have to say, oh, just lift your hands. He'll be telling you, put your hand down, bro. (laughs) Oh, no, I don't like that one. You're responsible for that. To fan the flame of passion in your own heart. And if you're not taking responsibility for it, then you're dead. You are dying. A branch that is disconnected from the vine looks good only for a season. And when it comes to the rubber hitting the road, you know who's disconnected because they're no longer there. Where are you today? Have you disconnected from the vine? Oh, it's like, oh, there's a moment there. (laughs) Is that a sign, brother? All righty. You're responsible, amen? I better stay on track. Whoa, must have been hitting something good there. Hey, wound it up, Pastor. (laughs) I am responsibility for my heart and my motives. I am responsible for my heart and my motives. When you get into the Word of God, God sifts and discerns the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Amen? So when you're in the Word, you're inviting the author of the book to come in and shine a light on yourself. And when that's not enough, you know what he does? He puts you next to a brother who annoys the crap out of you. Yeah, you know why? Because iron will sharpen iron, so another man sharpens another man. And what happens is when you rub shoulders, there's friction. And what you think is an irritation is a reflection of your heart. It's not, nothing to do with the relationship. It's God wants to bring the relationship to expose something that he needs to, to deal with. But you need to pay attention to that because all you do is look at him and go, you flipping annoy me, bro. 
I'm going to punch you at the back. No. You own that and you go, whoa, hang on, why am, why am I behaving like that? Why am I like that? Because the degree that you allow yourself to love is the same degree you allow yourself to be hurt. And people don't want to hurt, so therefore their capacity to love is limited. All right, okay. I am responsible for my attitude. You know, this is an attitude. You know what attitude is? When you don't turn up. You're responsible for not turning up. You're responsible for turning up. When you don't turn up, you know what a pastor's love language is? You know, anyone read the love language book? Yeah, I encourage you to read it. But you know what a pastor's love language is? What do you reckon a pastor's love language is? What do you reckon, bro? What's a pastor's love language? Commitment. Mufasa. <laughs> what do you think a pastor's love language would be? Serving. Serving. Wow, that's good. Great. Amen. What do you reckon, sir? The word. The word. Do you want me to tell you what a pastor's love language is? I'll say it on behalf of the pastors. I tell you, really? You ready for this? Pastor's love language is when you turn up, they feel loved. When you turn up, you bless me. I'm inspired by the fact you even arrived today. There's nothing more discouraging than when you prepare and you've prayed and you've counseled and you've done all this and you get up and no one's there. Where's that brother? I don't know, gone AWOL. Why? Because he never took responsibility. He blamed and justified why he shouldn't turn up. See, when pastors lay their life down, it's for the betterment of you because they are overseers of your soul. They can see over the horizon that you can't see. And when one day we'll have to give an account of that. I'm responsible for my attitude. Here's one. I'm responsible for my time. Ooh, pastor, here's a good one, eh? Hey, pastor, boy. There's just not enough time. There's just not enough time. Oh, where is it? Watch this. This is funny. Um. Oh, man. Oh, here we go. Watch this. There's not enough time. You know, there's 24 hours in a day. Nothing more, nothing less. There's 168 hours in seven days of the week. There's 168 hours. So Pastor Paul has 168 hours. You have 168 hours. So here's, a, here's, a, here's something for you to do at home. Right, 168 hours. Okay. Now, you, you minus how much you sleep. It's probably the whole portion of it. <laughs> And what you will find, I guarantee, is you'll have about 50 hours of unredeemed time that you've just wasted and not taken ownership of and wonder why there's no breakthrough in your life. We've got to own our time. Amen? All right. Where's my sermon? Sorry. Oh, there we go. The swear word. Take responsibility. 
You are responsible for your time, what you do with it, what you don't do with it. You can spend 10 hours on PlayStation all you like, but when rubber hits the road and you need help and you're crying out to God, but you're not familiar with his voice because you never spend time, the only thing that's going to help you is not an Xbox. It's not a PlayStation. Trust me, I know. I spent 40 years of my life playing PlayStation. Trust me, I know. Mm. I am responsible for my brother. What does that mean? That means if your brother's not there, go and see them. What's up, my bro? What's going on? Oh, I'm struggling. Yeah, cool. I'm here for you. You're responsible for each other. You're responsible for your life, but we're responsible for not only our life, but the brother next to me that I'm meant to do life with. And I'm responsible for my money. I'm responsible for my money. Oh, I'll give... I'll give to the church when I win lotto. Hmm. Well, what about the $5 is in your pocket? Oh, no, no I can't do that. I've got to buy some cigarettes. You will do with your $5 what you would do with your million dollars. Same habit. Same mindset. Just bigger stuff. Trust me, I know. I've been on some big money recently looking after disabled people. And do you know what? Because I cried out to God, God, I need money. I need more money, Lord. I need more money. Because I was struggling. I had no money. I had a little bit of money. And I didn't take care of that little bit of money. I was just buying takeaways and I was just buying whatever. You know, takeaways, you know what that is? Yeah, yeah. No, you fellas eat all at home, eh? It's good. But what happened was when I got a lot of money, I found that I did exactly what I did with the little money, just on a bigger scale. Because what you do in private on the small things, you would do in the public in the big things. If you are not good with money in your private world, don't think God will entrust you with money in the public world. Because you might find yourself looking after other people's money, but because you can't look after your money, you're going to embezzle it. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, because you need to change this. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And as you think like that, you're going to do it here. And that's why when David slew his giant in the private, when no one else was watching, he was able to bring deliverance to a greater people. And you need to own your private world so that God can release you into the public arena. Amen? Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 13, 11, um, God says, uh, Samuel, talking to Saul, he's become king now. And he says, what have you done? 1 Samuel 13, 11. What have you done? Asked Samuel. And Saul replied, When I saw the men were scattered, and that you did not come at a set time, and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled. Say compelled. Say, I felt. I felt. Someone said one day that feelings are a great steward. They're a great servant, but a lousy master. I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Samuel said, you have done foolish thing. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of the Lord our God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel all time. Saul broke the order especially given them by Samuel. 
Now God said to Samuel, I want you to tell this king to utterly wipe out every Amalekite. And there's a reason for that because when they come out of Israel, uh, when they come out of Egypt, there were some stragglers who couldn't keep up with the multitude of the Israelites. And the Amalekites came up from behind and took them out. And it displeased the Lord and God, I'll get you. So guys, I want to wipe them all out. In the law regarding war, when you go and you can take the first fruits, you can take the best and you can offer to the Lord, but you keep the spoils. But the word of the Lord said, kill them all. And the minute he abdicated his responsibility, he blamed the Philistines, he blamed the men, he even blamed Samuel. Doesn't that sound familiar? Adam and Eve. What is this you've done, Adam? The wife you gave me did it. Wife, what is this you've done? It's the snake you created, did it? Snake. These two were too dumb, so they listened to me. <laughs> no. But they abdicated their responsibility. Listen to a snake. My dear Lord, have mercy. But they blamed and therefore, the consequence of their blaming and not owning the responsibility was all of mankind is in sin. Saul abdicated his kingdom because he disobeyed what God was saying to him. God's been speaking to you over the weekend. I believe that. I know he's been speaking to me too. And he's saying, what would you do with it from now on? What, what, what are you going to do with what God's put in your hand? Are you just going to go, that was a great weekend, thanks for turning up, tick that box? Or are you actually going to do something about it? Are you actually going to put that into practice, allow God to bear fruit in your life so that you actually have an amazing life? See, 2 Samuel, uh, Samuel 2, 13, last scripture, David, you know, with Bathsheba, he did some pretty bad stuff. But the thing that makes David after God's heart was that he owned it. He took responsibility for his sin. He didn't blame. He owned it. Grace was extended to David. And grace is extended to you when you take ownership of the areas of your life that you once abdicated. Grace is God's divine influence on your heart with its reflection in your life. When grace comes on you, it gives you capacity to walk in this new nature. There were consequences, obviously, to pay for the sin. But because he took responsibility and ownership, he was given grace. Think about it. All Saul did was offer up a sacrifice, and he lost it all. And David committed adultery, murdered a guy, and was extended grace. One blamed. Another one took ownership. I want to leave you with that. In this week to come, I, I, I think you've got about two-week opportunity. That's, again, that's not law. It's not a Bible verse. It's just my experience that God's put things into your heart, into your mind. Some of you are taking notes. Some of you are going to buy the cassette. But God's put things into your hands, and he's asking you, what are you going to do about it? Because if you just tick it off the box, your life will not be transformed you will stay the same. And 
and, and people will pass you by in your journey and you'll be like, man, I've been in here longer. I've done more. I should be doing rah, rah, rah. And all it was was you never took responsibility to show up, to turn up. I was a prayer meeting on tonight. Oh, I'd rather watch the footy. Like last night, we had a great people. Last night, they could have chose to come home. They, should have, they could have chose to stay home. You came out today and you could have chose to do something amazing on a Saturday. Let me just tell you, God will meet you because of that. Because you've positioned yourself to receive. But what you receive, you've got to give it away. A, a river becomes stale and, because there's no life being poured into it. And your journey becomes stale because you're not giving it out so that you can be filled again. So God, I feel, is challenging us this weekend to take one thing and do the one thing that God is telling you to do and do it well. Amen? And when it doesn't work when you're doing it, pause. This is, the, this is, this is, this is crazy. When you, you know you've heard from God and it doesn't work, it's okay. Stop. Pause. And say, hey, God, what's going on? What direction do I need to take? It's okay, because God's word won't return void. He's just waiting for you to become dependent on him and not dependent on yourself. And sometimes he wants you to go left, but you're like, oh, I want to go right. Maybe you got that yoke on you that we talked on last night. You know, Jesus is saying, go this way, but you're yoked going another way. And we wonder why it's sore. Like Jonah. Jonah gets a word, go to Nineveh. He goes, how no? And he walks the other way. And what happens? He gets eaten by a whale. And we think God sent the whale to bring discipline to his life to go and do it. But really, the word of God was the discipline. Well, there's another sermon on that one. Jesus says, If you stay in the vine, I'll cut you. And if you bear much fruit, I'm going to cut you. I'm going to prune you. But if you don't bear fruit, I'm going to cut you. Hmm. So the product of fruit is that you get cut. Then he says, but you, you're already clean because of the words I've spoken to you. That word clean is the same word as prune. You are already pruned because of the word I've spoken to you. Some of us think that God brings bad stuff to us to discipline us, but really, he pruned you through his spoken word. The reason you go through hard times is because you turn away from it and go in a different direction. It's another one. Praise the Lord. I want to pray for you. Is that okay? Ooh, I can't even lift it. Gee. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, ooh, it's pretty heavy. I want to pray um, yeah I just feel like God wants me to lay hands on you if you feel like God's spoken to you this weekend when I'm pretty sure he has I want you to come up the front we'll pray for you and we're going to seal what God's done for this weekend into your life and I feel like God wants to speak more into your life yeah because you can't leave this place and took it Oh, I went to a men's conference. Pastor Mal was good. He's from Puriroa. 
Don't we listen to people from Purido anyway? You know, there's a rival between Wainui and Purido. No, nah, nah. it wasn't my day. But I feel like God's been on this weekend, and I think it's a divinely appointed weekend for this particular local church. Adam was first, then Christ. First the natural, then the supernatural. And I feel the season of this church is in in that moment. That God is recalibrating because he's about to do something phenomenally supernatural. But when he does it, he needs to put the natural in place first. Uh, And you men have to stand up. And you've got to be accounted for. Some of you are going to kick against the pricks. Some of you are going to kick against and go, I don't want to bloody move. I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. And that's okay. But soften your heart and allow God to bring leadership to you and bring direction to your life because your next season is totally indicative of what you do with the season you're in right now.